Thanks for pressing play. As you know, one of the most potent ways we as human beings learn new things and road test new ideas is through authentic dialogue. And yet, we live at a time where real, open, thoughtful, and deep conversations are not valued by many. Candidly, I never thought that the simple, powerful act of sitting down together, listening to each other, and having a real dialogue would require evangelizing. But it seems that's the state of the world that we're in, and around here, we're on a mission to change that. Welcome to Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. Podcast Magazine says we're the, quote, best business podcast. And some podcast reviewers call us uh, not worth it, offensive, and overrated. (laughs) No matter what you call us, we are the authentic, unedited, real dialogue podcast for people who value real, different dialogues. And uh, I sure am glad you're here. Welcome to the first of two episodes we're doing on the new work paradigms that are beginning to emerge. The second one is with uh, Jennifer Moss, and she's the author of The Burnout Epidemic, uh, subtitled The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It. Now, on this episode, the fascinating Joe Sanook. Joe says it's time to design a life that works for you by, in part, making Thursday the new Friday, which, as you probably saw, is the title of his new book. Joe is kind of like the opposite of many of the hustle porn stars who've emerged over the last decade or so, screaming at entrepreneurs, marketers, creators, and executives to work till they drop. When in reality, if you never stop hustling, you'll likely end up fat, sick, divorced, and God forbid, dead. As a matter of fact, in Japan, they actually have a word for working yourself into, into the grave, and it's called karoshi. And uh, I sure as hell don't want that to happen to you, me, or anybody I love. No matter what stage of your career you're at right now, I think the dialogue you're about to hear with Joe will stimulate some of your thinking about how to design a legendary career. My friends at Malibu Milk are the world's first organic flax milk. And um, they're also the first milk company ever created by a mom. Check out MalibuMilkWithAY.com. And when you make your first purchase... On checkout, type in DIFFERENT15 for a 15% discount at Malibu Milk. My friends at Hallow App are the world's first real relationship app. If you're tired of being the product, if you're tired of uh, uh, having all of your personal information scraped by social media companies, and you're looking for a digital place to have real conversations with the people you really care about, check out H-A-L-L-O-A-P-P.com or search for Hallow App on your smartphone app store of choice. And I also want to tell you to check out Category Pirates. It's kind of like Harvard Business Review, if it was written for and by pirates. Go to CategoryPirates.com today and check it out. Also, we are now offering a 20% discount on subscriptions of four or more. That's CategoryPirates.com. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. Joe Sanek, I'm freaking stoked to see you. Welcome. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm doing awesome. Nice to see you, Christopher. Feels like it's been too long. It has been too long. I mean, you were on my show a while back, and I think we're aligned in so many ways and just 
we think differently. Yes. And if I do remember, I think you joined me for an episode of Legends and Losers back in the day. I did. That is true. That is yeah. true. And I think you've gotten better looking since the last time I saw you. Is that possible? <laughs> well, I have been moisturizing, you know, really taking care of uh, my skin. You know, now that I'm over 40, you got to like keep track of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Now, your new book is fascinating to me because um, there seems to be this huge mega trend um, that is that is emerged or uh, where the world is having an existential discussion with itself. Right. Of course, COVID starts the conversation, although many people were having the conversation about, you know, work life balance, which is not a term I love. But um, this notion of the YOLO economy, um, you know, you only live once. And then, of course, the pandemic does what it does, and and so many of us knowledge workers end up working from home and so forth and so on. And so there just seems to be this massive existential global discussion called, uh, what kind of work do I want to do? How do I want to work? How do I want to uh, design my life around my work or vice versa? And and so I think your book comes out at a fascinating time. Yeah, I really couldn't have asked for a better time for all of this to have hit. Uh, you know, looking at Spain moving to the four-day work week, Denmark trying it out, so many companies trying a four-day work week. And even if it's not a four-day work week, to to start to think about why are we working the number of hours we're working just from a stress standpoint? Uh, most of us through COVID, you know, adulting and working and all of that at once was so difficult um, to manage all those plates. But then we realized that, you know, if you're in a traditional job, 40 hours, you didn't need 40 hours. You could go make your kid lunch and then help him with school. And then you could bounce into a Zoom meeting. And, you know, a lot of people started saying, well, why are we working this way? Our outcomes are the same. We're doing the same or better work working fewer hours. And then kind of people with the industrialist mindset are like, we want butts in the chairs. We want to get back to the cog in the big machine. Um, and that's just not going to work anymore. Like it's already blown up. We've seen behind the curtain and uh, things are shifting. Well, and I think a big part of what you're ab about this mega trend is, is this idea of agency, this notion that, um, you know, we want to have dominion over our lives and our work. And it's not to say we don't want to work hard. It's not to say we don't want to produce legendary results. But at the same time, um, you know, as Lily Tomlin famously said, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because you start a book with one idea. And then as I kind of dove in, I discovered all these paths and went down these rabbit holes. And I, I'm a big questioner. I have a lot of curiosity. And one thing I thought of was, you know, where did time even come from? How did we decide on we're going to have a 24-hour day, seven-day week? You know, a lot of things make sense. You know, a year we go around the sun, a day our earth spins. Okay, that makes sense. But the seven-day week, it just kept gnawing at me and saying, why seven days? You know, uh, and so I looked into it and thousands of years ago, the Babylonians came up with the seven-day week. Uh, they only could identify seven major celestial beings, and they said, we should have a seven-day week, whereas the Egyptians had an eight-day week, the Romans had a 10-day week. And so at the core of kind of everything I then started to look at was like, we made this up. We made up seven days. We made up the weekend. And even the weekend is less than 100 years old. Uh, Henry Ford started the 40-hour week to sell more cars to his own employees because he thought if we could give them more time off, they'll buy more cars from us. And so in 1926, he switched over to the 40-hour work week. And, and these what, things what, what that, was the work week before that, Joe? 
Yeah. So it, most of the research in the 1800s and early 1900s shows that the average person was working 10 to 12 hours a day, six to seven days a week. They, they might get a day off. Um, so much so that in England, there was this, this thing where people really didn't go into work till noon on Monday. Um, they called it St. Mondays uh, because people drank so much after church that they were hung over for Monday because the, the one day they had off was to go to church. And then they were like, and some of us it. even drink in church. I know. <laughs> So it's like people wanted more time off, but they just didn't get it. And so um, to think about that step for the evolution of business to go from you know six days a week, 10 to 14 hour days, like that was needed for humanity. That was a step forward. Now, do we now say that a 40 hour work week is what we need still? I would actually argue we actually are leaving that industrialist mindset behind and that we're in the messy middle of what's emerging next. And we get to decide in the same way the Babylonians said seven days week, we get to decide what that looks like. And that autonomy to me is so important that we do this well, that we think about it. We look at the research, we look at case studies, we look at even just how we feel on the inside. When I tell people I wrote a book about taking Fridays off, they're like, yeah, it's about time because they know Fridays are a blow off day. You know, it's when you have, you know, you bring in a cake for someone that's having a baby, or you maybe have a quote visioning meeting, but everyone sits there and talks for 20 minutes and we're already blowing it off. Why don't we actually just call it what it is and have a three day weekend? (laughs) I love it. The other thing I love about you, Joe, I just got to tell you, you, you know, I have no particular uh, uh, affection for the hustle porn stars, the Grant Cardones and, and Gary V's of the world and stuff. And so you, you are literally coming out and, and I know you're a much nicer guy than I am, but you're sort of uh, giving all those guys, the hustle porn industry, uh, a big middle finger here. I actually have a whole chapter on the the hustle narrative and why it's wrong. And um, I I just hope Gary Vee comes out swinging uh, because he's named in it as someone that has perpetuated a lot of that. And uh, he has a lot that he's done well, but I do think that that whole like hashtag hustle uh, where people are working nonstop, like it's not efficient. If just if we just look at productivity alone, when people are quote hustling, it's not effective. Uh, there's so many better ways to do it. And we see it in big businesses or community colleges or tons of the case studies that I've seen uh, and researched that it actually is better for business, for mental health and for health outcomes. And people actually make more money at it. And so why would we keep hustling 90 hours a week so that we can have the quote status that Instagram gives us when it's not even needed? Well, and the other thing about the Instagram status and that stuff, people have finally realized, at least the smart ones, um, Hey, you know, you can't go to Trader Joe's and buy your groceries with friends, followers, and likes. Yeah. You know, so the reality is if you're a creator of any kind, um, you've been getting ripped off by the platforms for all these years because you create content, which drives engagement and eyeballs, which the platforms monetize. And uh, Bob's your uncle. You get paid, so to speak, in likes and views and, and, and followers. Well, fucking A. That you can't buy groceries or beer with that. No. And, and I think that to really go back to who are we trying to attract with our individual businesses or our life mission or whatever the work is that you do in the world, if you don't start with who am I trying to help, then you have no idea who the audience is. You have no idea where to spend your time. Uh, you're right that the average Instagram is not going to give you that ROI on that time and money. Uh, and so knowing who your audience is, being able to identify those people, serve them, uh, that's the stuff that pays the bills if you just listen to people and actually 
actually see what their pain is, where they're pushing back on it, and then saying, I need some help for transformation. That's where you actually start to step out into a different category. Yes. And so, um, you know, the other one that pops to mind is uh, I I heard a Grant Cardone say that uh, nobody ever died from working too hard. And I responded to him on Twitter and I said, well, that's funny, Grant, because in Japan they have a word for it. It's called Karoshi, you dumb fuck. And so this ethos of, you know, what I got to do, I guess if you're a young entrepreneur, for sure, you got to spend your entire 20s hustling 724.55. Yeah, yeah. And and you've got to have five side hustles that are each making you a thousand bucks a month rather than, well, let's just slow down a little bit and look at the neuroscience and realize that you're actually flipping it wrong. Uh, You know, the average person, you know, they'll work all week. uh, They'll come home. They're tired. They're making food for their kids. They're they're hustling. They're stressed out. They're fighting with their spouse, whatever the typical adulting is. They finally get to Friday night and they probably let loose and drink or smoke some weed or whatever, watch Netflix. And then they have soccer practice on the morning on Saturday. And then they've got maybe some yard work to do. And they may give themselves permission to go out on Saturday with some friends or on a date. And then Sunday, they're like, tomorrow I have to go back to work. And so all day Sunday, they feel like crap. When the reality is the neuroscience supports that if you slow down first, you then optimize your brain for what's next. So we do this event called Slowdown School where all of these coaches, entrepreneurs, counselors, people with all sorts of businesses fly into northern Michigan uh, in the small little airport. We pick them up in a big yellow school bus and we drive out to uh, it's this amazing boarding school that's right on Lake Michigan that in the summer does all sorts of corporate type events. We bring in executive chefs that partner directly with farmers down the road. The salad, they literally have notes that say these tomatoes came from this farm and have a map of it's a mile down the road. I mean, so much so that the vegans that are there are like, this is the best vegan food I've ever had. And a lady that was on the keto diet stayed in ketosis all week. So good food, good environment. And what do we tell them on Sunday is that put your phones away. They, they know this is coming. So they've planned ahead. Put your phones away. The only thing you can open up your phone for is to take pictures, to capture the moment because we're going to be in some pretty beautiful spots. And all day, Monday and Tuesday, we go hiking, we bring in a massage therapist, we bring in a yoga teacher, uh, we have beautiful views uh, of Lake Michigan, we have stone skipping contests and day drink on the beach. It's just incredible. And people feel guilty about it. Like I'm taking two days that I paid to fly to Northern Michigan to be around Joe Sanok and I want to pick his brain. It's like, no, just wait, just wait, just wait. Then Wednesday comes and we work on their businesses and Thursday we work on their businesses and Friday morning we work on their businesses and they get done in 20 minute sprints, what often would have taken them months to get done. I remember this one guy, Michael, who uh, he had wanted to write this book about a unique couples therapy approach that he had been doing for years. He had done all this research, but he was just stuck. He was even in like a mastermind group with me and just dove, dove in, but didn't get the book written. In one 20 minute sprint, he outlined all eight of the first chapters, bullet pointed down so much so that he really could just sit down and write the book whenever he wanted. And, And that's what happens. That's what the neuroscience shows us is that when we actually slow down, when we actually stop the hustle, we're so much more productive. Uh, and we know this. I mean, how many times has there been that thing that you've been thinking about that you can't break through? And you know, when you're in the shower, not listening to music, or you're on a long drive and your brain wanders, or in the middle of the night, you have that aha, 
that that's what happens in our brains because we're not in that fight, flight, or freeze anymore. It actually can free up that creativity in a way that we can have breakthroughs that we never would have had. It's so interesting what you're saying. I, I, I was recently uh, doing a jam session on the weekend with my two partners in Category Pirates, uh, Eddie Yoon and Nicholas Cole. And we have a regular scheduled call on Fridays for a couple hours where we jam on the current newsletter we're working on. And, uh, you know, we are always got a couple cooking in the background. But the interesting thing and one of the fun things about the three of us is we call each other all the time. And it was Saturday and I had this idea. And we had had our jam session on Friday. So I just started war dialing them and war texting them. And, uh, and before you know it, we just all got on the phone. Anyway, long story longer, over the weekend, we probably spent about three hours over a couple sessions jamming on a set of ideas. And when it was over, A, I sort of forgot it was the weekend. And B, I, I said to my wife, I said, wow, you know, that doesn't feel like work. And one of the ahas I've had is you can't schedule creativity and you can't schedule innovation between 2.30 and 3 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. When the idea hits, when the moment hits, you call the band, you start jamming together, everybody drops what they're doing, they have some fun, they get into it, they, they're, at least with me, they get a little silly sometimes, and all of a sudden you have 10 new incredible ideas. I would agree with you to an extent, but I would push back that a lot of people aren't like you where they can then set that boundary to actually slow down again. So you have lots of hobbies that you have that pull you out of your work brain. Um, a lot of people get addicted to what you're just talking about. And then they do that all weekend long. They always have the ideas. They're out on a date with someone that's important to them and they're only talking business and ideas. And so I would, I would agree with you to an extent that yes, that creativity comes up. But some of the most effective people are the people that find how they can capture those ideas when they come and let them continue to simmer deep in the brain. And so that's fine once in a while. But if every Saturday becomes now another workday for you, that's where it becomes a problem where your brain can't turn off anymore. So I would say most people that are pretty effective will have some way to capture those ideas, to give them enough triggers to get back to that flow state that then they can re-enter into. So they can set a hard boundary around even if I have a great idea on the weekend, I'm not going to spend time brainstorming on it because my kid's soccer game is so important. This you know, board game with my friends or stand up paddle boarding, whatever your thing is, that that's something that's as good for my brain as brainstorming about my business. And so I would say, yeah, have that once in a while, but also be cognizant of don't let that take over because a lot of us entrepreneur types are ideas people, are shiny object people. And then next thing you know, we're brainstorming all the time because, quote, we get energy from it. And we've actually underestimated how important fun and slowing down actually is for our brains. Yes, yeah, so I'm reminded of, um, of how we wrote Play Bigger. There was four of us, three, including my, or uh, three plus myself. And uh, what we did was exactly what you described. Uh, and this is what I love to do. I don't do very much advising and consulting anymore. But when I was doing a lot of that, this is how I like to do it, which is essentially spend half the day playing and half the day working. And so when we're writing Play Bigger, the boys came and stayed at my place. We sort of used my house as sort of the centralized place for doing the work. We're a couple blocks from the ocean. It's a great place to be. And so we would work for a couple hours, jam, get all excited, get that energy that you're talking about. But then that energy wears off. Like it only, in my experience, that's a 45 minute to two hour thing. It doesn't, it doesn't go eight hour, at least it doesn't for me. So there would be a natural sort of petering off point and we'd drop it 
and you go for a bike ride along the ocean, right? And you sort of interstitial all this fun and all this food and all this play with the work. Is that more of what you're talking about, Joe? Yeah, I think that, you know, even as I approached this book, um, the week before I'd write a chapter, I would whiteboard out the main five to seven points of the chapter. So what's the research? What's the interesting story? What are the questions that I still have? And I would just put it all out there. And then I would let it simmer, you know, for the next few days, kind of. So I'm going into the weekend. It's just kind of in the background. It's not anything I'm actively thinking about or journaling about. But then when Monday or Tuesday would come, I'd say, oh, I need to print off these things to look into the research or I want to make sure I can read, you know, aspects of a different book or listen to a podcast or Google some things to go down those rabbit holes. Uh, And so I think we underestimate how much we have to actively work on something. Our brains are complex, complex machines. And so they are, it's able to keep working when we feel like we're relaxing. Uh, And so tapping into that, I mean, that's, What the entire second part and third part is about is how do we optimize our brains to slow down? And then when it's time to kill it, how do we actually kill it? How do we go out there and just rip it apart? Um, And we found that actually there's um, several different sprint types. And so there's, um, if you picture kind of an X, Y axis, there's the people that they need to have a regular time that they work on something. And so we might think of someone that's batching things. And so, you know, every Thursday, I'm going to work on my book. So that's me. I am on that side of it where I need to have a very regularly scheduled time that I block things out. There's other people that have more of a retreat model. I need to go away to an Airbnb for four days and just like relax for a bit. And I'm going to just pump this out over a long weekend. And I'm going to do all my YouTube or all my writing or whatever it is. So there's people on that side that they, they sprint in that way. And then other people, so we have kind of that end. And I think a lot of times we hear that one is valued more than others in the entrepreneurial world. You always hear about batching, 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 but what if that doesn't work for me? Um, and then other people will have sprints that they do in, in very short amounts where they have multiple small sprints versus other folks that are going to have a larger project all at once. And so we have what's called task switching. So someone that needs 20 minutes working on one thing, then they switch to another task versus people that really have a block of time that they're working on one thing. And so even within those types, we kind of then have an X, Y axis of people that need to do this regularly during the week, and then they need to task switch versus people that do it regularly during a week, and then they really do one thing for a longer period of time. So once you understand your sprint type, then when you go for that bike ride, you know, okay, I'm a person that I need to go for a bike ride, and then I need to have a retreat for a day or two that I get it all done, or I'm someone that's just going to take an hour or two and do it. So then it pairs up with how your brain is actually working instead of just feeling like you have to follow everyone else's lead uh, and do what you think that you're supposed to do. So let me see if I'm hearing you right, Joe. What I think I hear you saying is to do this powerfully is to have uh, what you might consider radical self-awareness, right? Like I know for myself, I have ADHD. And when I sit down to write something, I'm going to fuck around. I'm going to forget what I'm writing or I'll Google something and I'll go down a rat and then I'll come back and, and, and there's going to be some of that. Right. And so now I understand it. I make room for it. And I also, you know, so you, you do develop an awareness of yourself. So that's the first thing I hear you saying is you have to have an awareness of what kind of uh, worker, what kind of thinker, what kind of a creator are you in order to sort of structure your time? 
Yeah. So some people, whether it's ADHD or something else, um, have a more pronounced vigilance decrement. Vigilance meaning how well you pay attention, decrement meaning breaking down over time. So with any task, the average person has vigilance decrement. So if I do a very boring task for an hour towards the end, I'm going to have less attention to it than at the beginning. Um, why is that? Well, Think about just from an evolutionary standpoint. You're walking through the woods for the first time in a new area. You're going to be hyper aware because you don't know if there's a tiger or a rhino or anything. If you've walked that a thousand times, you're going to be less aware because you know that you haven't seen a tiger for 30 years walking through the woods in the same spot. So that's true also with the work we do. And so our brains really, even though we're pretty advanced, our brains are still that primitive brain in so many different ways. And so if we can tap into that evolutionary nature, we can use that to our advantage. So University of Illinois did a really interesting study around vigilance decrement to see if, is that just always permanent that you're going to lose that interest over time? Or can you spark that in really micro moments? So they had these college students come in and what they did is they gave them four digit numbers to pay attention to. So, you know, two, three, four, five. Um, and so two, three, four, five is your number. You're going to look at a screen and for an hour, every time two, three, four, five comes up, you hit a button. Anytime another number comes up, you don't hit the button. Crazy boring task. So they found vigilance decrement after that hour that as they sat there, they didn't pay attention to their number. They hated the task. Now they had a second group, as you do in a research study, where a third of the way through, they interrupted them and gave them a one minute break. They said something like, you know, we put you on the wrong computer, go sit in the lobby for a minute, like just stretch out, you'll be right back. Um, and then at the two thirds mark, they did the exact same thing. And they actually found there was no vigilance decrement during that time with just two one minute breaks. Why? Well, in a new situation, the brain pays attention, even if it's a common environment, boom, like there, I'm paying attention more with just that one minute break. And so even someone like yourself that says, I have ADHD, setting a timer for maybe 10 minutes instead of 20 minutes, and then getting up, stretching, doing push-ups, playing the guitar, whatever it takes, then it's going to be like Lockhead is going to rock it out now because I just took that time away and used the research to optimize my brain. Yes. And of course, the other thing that happens is while you're running down whatever rabbit hole it is, whether it's a guitar or, you know, you, you fell down some conspiracy theory on the internet, um, <laughs> your brain is relaxing from the task at hand. And there is some creativity. And often I find myself when I'm in that rabbit hole, taking that ADHD sort of mental copy break or whatever you'd want to think about it as you get this idea, and you're like, oh, shit, I, let me write that down. And then, and then, bam, you're back to the task at hand. Exactly. I mean, those rabbit holes are really valuable because your brain is kind of releasing the focus and then you're going to make connections where you get out of your default mode network to be able to talk to other parts of your brain. And so you can connect things like pirates and marketers and you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. That's crazy. Now, I guess one of the big questions I'd have for you is, uh, you know, I know a lot of uh, big time CEOs. And then, so if I was the CEO of a major publicly traded company, and I say, okay, well, so Joe, are you telling me that I should tell everybody that we're going to a four-day work week? How, how am I going to produce this quarter's numbers if I do that? Yeah, no, I think that's a common question I'm getting, especially from C-suite folks. Uh, I just did a keynote speech at Nissan Infinity Canada about mental health and about Thursday is the new Friday. Um, so I like to go to the case example I talk about in the book of Kalamazoo Valley Community College. So KVCC, it's in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Southwest Michigan, just a small regular community that's off of 94, about halfway between Chicago and Detroit. So regular community, regular community college. And when you think about community colleges, 
it doesn't get more, much more vanilla than that. They typically are pretty stuck in their ways. So there was this HVAC guy who was teaching at the college, and he started to notice that on Fridays, there weren't as many students there, that they weren't as engaged. And he just all summer kept taking pictures on Fridays. And then in the fall, took more pictures on Fridays to show how busy it was. And then he looked at what the HVAC system was spending on just air conditioning alone on Fridays in the summer. And he presented it to the board and just said, here's the data. Um, and he was prepared with a PowerPoint just in case they said, what should we do about this? So he just said, I'm just noticing that we have a 20% drop in students or whatever the actual numbers were. And here's how much we're spending to air condition these buildings for all of our staff. And here's how much we're spending on staff costs. So they switched to a 36-hour work week. HR, quote, donated on Friday the extra four hours just as a test the first year. Uh, and they have saved millions of dollars in just air conditioning costs by, by being able to help uh, students come in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. As well, they've saw that staff appreciation of it, healthcare costs, and all sorts of other things have changed because of switching to that four-day work week. Now, is every industry going to be able to give up Fridays? Of course not. But what are we saying? We're saying we need to rewrite how we view time. Why are we doing Fridays? The question should be, do all these top-level CEOs need to have their entire staff there on a Friday? Or could they have people work you know, a little bit longer hours, work through lunches, things like that on a Monday through Thursday? And are we going to then see some of these staff costs change, some of the healthcare costs and other savings um, to be more efficient during those times that we are doing it? Each business is going to have their own way of doing it, but we create the framework of how you experiment with it and test different departments against each other to see if the four-day work week would work for the business. But ultimately, what you're saying is a 36-hour work week is a improvement for the employee, but you're also arguing, are you not, that this is an absolute improvement for the business, that you get 36 legendary uh, hours out of somebody as opposed to 40 shitty ones. Yeah, <laughs> and, and like I would that. say, so KVCC did 36 hours. I would say try 32 hours. And, you know, for most of the businesses that are doing this successfully, they have conversations on how they do it as an experiment first. And so uh, we're going to try this for one quarter in these two departments. What are the KPIs we're going to evaluate? How are we going to make sure that we do this well? You don't think that if staff know that they can work 32 hours and get paid for 40 and have Fridays off, that they're going to not bust their butts to make sure that this experiment is successful, um, to know that at any point they could go back on this. So they're going to try harder to really show that that's going to work. That's interesting. The other thing I, I see you challenging here is, you know, per, per your conversation earlier around why is it seven days and why is it not 10? Or, you know, of course, every, everything in the world that isn't a natural law is something human beings made up, right? And, and we just assume, well, the, it is the way it is, where in point of fact, we could decide to have a 12-day week tomorrow if we all agreed, right? But as part of that agreement in work, there's this notion that says time equals value. And so many of us get paid by the hour. And that's one that I have always challenged that, well, time doesn't necessarily equal value because I could take 20 minutes to produce something that could produce massive value and charging an hourly rate to do that would be a very dumb thing. And so how do you think about this notion of time equals value, particularly in the context of the four day work week? Yeah, I do think we have, I mean, if we just start with something really simple. So if I pay the neighbor kid to mow my lawn, if I say I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour, 
and he takes four hours to do it, he's going to he's gonna probably do a better job as he's doing kind of all the details of it because he knows I'm getting paid for the, you know, the quality or I'm getting paid, you know, by spending the time to create the quality. Now, if I say I'm going to just pay you $40 for mowing the lawn, he may whip through it if I don't have any standards of what that excellence needs to be for my lawn, of whatever level I want my lawn to look at. So if we take that example and then apply it to business, I think too often we don't even think through what are the outcomes that we want this position to have? What are the KPIs that we evaluate? What is that standard of excellence? In the same way that with my lawn, if there's grass clippings all over my driveway, that's not what I paid for. And so I don't mind paying a flat rate. If it takes him 15 minutes to do the entire thing because he upgraded his equipment and I get the outcome I want, awesome. But that's where I think businesses have been able to be lazy in a lot of ways where they haven't actually thought through what are the KPIs for each individual position of what we want as the outcomes. Um, The second part of it that I would also um, talk about in regards to this conversation is that for too long, positions have been seen as um, just parts of a bigger machine, that you are in this role, you're stuck in this role unless you become a supervisor or you do a lateral move. Businesses that are effective now and that are going to come out of COVID in a way that is actually transformative are moving from that industrial mindset of people are a particular position to that people are an opportunity to level up. So what does that mean? In my organization, every year, I talk to each individual about what you love doing in your position. And it's just like, you could keep doing that. What do you hate doing that you want me to outsource to somebody else or hire someone else to do? And where are you headed and what trainings do you need in that direction? And so I've had people that started as just a designer that now are my head of marketing and have been trained in video editing and put through all sorts of Facebook ads trainings, that they see it as that person is evolving in their position and that we're supporting that evolution. And then collectively, the business is evolving as well. So that's going to be a transformation that's hard for a lot of those industrialist mindset people to stick with. No doubt. Well, you certainly are being very provocative in challenging us to think about uh, how and why we work and and, and the amount of time we put into our work compared to other things. Um, Joe, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap? No, I think that, you know, when we think about what we do in the world, the bottom line is we're choosing to spend our time on something. And if we're spending five days a week in a job we hate, in a business we don't believe in, and even if we're an entrepreneur and we get to make our own schedule, to step back and say, I need to slow down enough so that I let the best parts of my brain come out first and then give the other parts to the things that don't matter nearly as much. And so when we flip that script where we're slowing down first so that we have some mindfulness going into the work that we do in the world, the relationships we have, that intentionality, that then creates a life that's worth living. And most people aren't thinking that way. And business leaders aren't thinking that way. Um, So I would encourage whether it's business leaders or entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs that are within a business that that this book will walk them through some of the case examples that it's really going to help them to evaluate how can they make Thursday the new Friday. Whether or not they drop Fridays, it's going to give those tools to at least evaluate those questions and come out on the other side. In this new world, we are in a new world and it is going to change. And if we don't decide how that's going to change, it's going to change for us. Excellent. Anything else, Joe? 
Well, ThursdaysTheNewFriday.com is the best place for people to learn all about the book. Would love for them to read it, order it from wherever you you get your books typically. And the hashtag ThursdaysTheNewFriday.com. I know that we're planning to do a giveaway as well with that, and so uh, we'll be you know giving all those details as well for uh, ten free books for your audience uh, when you post that on social media. Excellent. Joe, thank you for writing a very provocative, very insightful book. It's great to see you again, brother. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. Stay legendary, my friend. Thank you so much. Well, there he is, Joe Sonic. His new book is out. It's called Thursday is the New Friday. How to work fewer hours, make more money, and spend more time doing what you want. And who really doesn't want that? (laughs) Also want to remind you, coming up soon is a fascinating conversation, sort of the second part of this uh, sort of dialogue about the new paradigms of work that are emerging with Jennifer Moss. And she is the author of a new book called The Burnout Epidemic, The Rise of Chronic Stress and How We Can Fix It. So don't forget to subscribe to, follow, or whatever it is you're supposed to be doing on podcast apps this day to this podcast to make sure you get uh, that episode and many more. All right. We would like to thank my good friends at Malibu Milk. Check out MalibuMilk.com, the world's first whole plant organic flax milk created by a mom. When you check out on MalibuMilk.com, type in the discount code DIFFERENT15 and you'll get a 15% discount for the small tasty change that makes a very big difference. My friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out. My friends at Atranet have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out atre.net today. And my friends at the Drop-In Coalition are making a huge difference for kids who are underserved here in the Santa Cruz area. Check out dropincoalition.org. And don't forget to check out the Real Relationship Network, Halloapp, H-A-L-L-O-A-P-P.com. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Loghead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. We are produced and edited by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Don't forget to check out his podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Sarah Knox and Jamie J do legendary technical execution, and they build Lockhead.com. Show notes by GM Simon. Don't forget to spread podcasts, not viruses. And oh, by the way, your spouse called, and he said it's okay. You can subscribe to Category Pirates. (laughs) Don't forget to shower with a friend. We have a real water crisis here in California. And remember to hashtag fuck hustle. Thank you so much to all of our healthcare heroes. Remember to listen to Van Halen. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time. Uh, Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Elizabeth Holmes, former CEO of Theranos. Sorry, Lizzie. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me. I really appreciate it. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different.